Hello, I'm Sean. I'm an academic. And I'm Drew, a director and choreographer. We know it sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. An academic and a choreographer walk into a bar. Yes, it sounds like the beginning of the worst joke ever. But our unlikely friendship was born from a shared passion. We believe theatre is the art of collaboration. And that can be hard with many confusing titles and departments. Yes, we have to not only understand what people do, but also why they do it. And that's why we made the Theatre Blueprint podcast. Each episode, I speak to a leading artist in their field. And shed light on the inner workings of their department. There's so much to find out, so let's roll up our sleeves, put on our safety goggles and start digging. You've really committed to this building metaphor, haven't you? Yes, I have. Let's get on with the show. So welcome to the Theatre Blueprint podcast, Peter. Hello, Drew. Thank you so much for being with us today. I know you are so incredibly busy. Would you perhaps be able to start off by introducing yourself and telling us what it is that you do and how your job fits into the mechanism of theatre making? I'm Peter. I'm an arts participation specialist. uh, And I suppose in a nutshell, that means that I help people uh, to connect with learning activities around different creative arts subjects. I started off as a teacher of dance and drama and geography and media and all sorts of things uh, and then uh, found myself back working more closely with dance Uh, and at the moment I'm working uh, for Dance Umbrella as a creative learning producer and for I Can Dance, a charity that works with disabled children and young people in Camden and I'm also writing resource packs for a couple of theatre companies. Gosh, that's extraordinary. So it sounds to me like you have a real passion for creating uh, pathways into the arts for various different people and what what is like a day like in the life of you what what does your what does your your daily routine look like Uh, my daily routine often looks different uh, but it nearly always starts with a walk uh, where I figure out what my day is going to look like Uh, and then uh, it's usually a mixture of emails uh, and meetings either in person or on zoom Um, And it might be meeting with potential group leaders uh, to take artists and theatre companies to work with them and their their participants. It might be going into a school and working with class teachers to work out how how dance or artists could connect with different curriculum subjects and support and enhance learning both around those subjects and uh, the creative subjects. I feel like I spend a lot of it in meetings. It's a very collaborative kind of role. It's usually, I suppose the main theme is trying to figure out where people are right now, where we want to get them to be in terms of their development of skills, knowledge or understanding, and then figuring out how we're going to map that journey to support their learning. And why do you think the arts is so important within the education system? You know, what what you do is so vital to developing audiences. I can understand the, the benefits to the arts to be developing these audiences, but what, what benefit do the arts have on these young people that you introduce it to? Uh, the age-old question that we're, all, we're always trying to answer for the people who don't understand. Uh, I feel I'm always preaching to the converted on this. The arts are how we discover who we are. Uh, as individuals and how we connect and understand other people and other cultures and how we see other people's perspectives. I think the arts can help us solve a lot of the world's biggest problems and challenges. Um, They develop our confidence, they develop our communication skills, our uh, skills in compromising and all sorts of other things. 
that helped to sort of oil the wheels of the planet. And I think as well, arts education is a vital part of the arts uh, industry and the ecosystem. Uh, you mentioned sort of creating pathways. People aren't born professional artists. Uh, they might be born with a natural ability or talent, but that still has to be spotted uh, or the opportunities have to be given to them. And yeah, they, they learn how to hone their craft. And so the arts are all around us. And without arts education, we, we stop that pipeline of talent uh, from being able to arrive in reception class in year, you know, at four years old and go on uh, to training maybe at 18. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a vital part of the ecosystem, isn't it? Because it, it plays into the feeding in of talents to kind of every different area of the sector. It, you know, it goes beyond just the audience, doesn't it? It goes into the skill set of all the people. I mean, it's, it, must, it must be extraordinary for you to think about the amount of people you've introduced to theatre and to dance that, that now, you know, consider it to be their full-time job or, you know, a big part of their life that actually got introduced to it through you. Different aspects of the sector and of society are looking... Uh, for quite specific answers around this. So they're thinking, maybe the arts sector is thinking about that talent pipeline and how do we ensure uh, open access for people from every background to go through that pathway um, and to, to become a professional artist. There's also the notion that you might go and see a theatre show, realise that you're definitely not uh, going to be a performer, but maybe you really want to design the lighting for that production. Um, maybe uh, maybe you've just started learning to play the recorder at school and that's the starting point of your journey to become a musician and whether that's in the pit of a West End theatre or whether that's you know being in your own band creating your own artistic voice as a musician all of these things come from being inspired uh, usually at an early age because um, as you know you you know, you have to put the hours in uh, to be good at anything, whether that's the lighting designer, the carpenter, the musician, uh, you've got to put the hours in. And so you need to start fairly young uh, if you're going to get involved with it. This might be a hard question to answer, but from your experience, what would you say the, the kind of the biggest roadblocks to the arts are for young people? What, what, what are the fundamental kind of locked doors that, that need to be opened in order to get more people into the arts? I think one of the primary challenges, or maybe it's the perspective, is the arts is massive. Um, and I think different parts of the sector are often thinking about their own part of the sector when they're referencing the arts as a whole. Um, and so maybe naively, I believe that everybody is connected with arts and culture. Um, it might just be not necessarily the things that certain funding bodies recognize. Um, so, you know, they might be knitting the most beautiful scarf um, and they've designed the pattern. And for me, that's the arts. They're, they're using their own creativity to express themselves through their chosen medium. Um, and so I suppose one of, the, one of the barriers is how are we defining what the arts is uh, and all the things that make up the arts. Uh, another is finances and opportunity um, to, you know, 
as we were saying, to, to progress at something, you need to have sort of frequent uh, and consistent exposure to learning in that. Um, and that takes time and it takes money and it takes parental or guardian involvement often to, to take you to places or to, to pick you up. And then I think that there's, there's the age-old problem of whether the arts is something that somebody perceives they do. And so they might listen to music, but not necessarily see themselves as having any musical talent. Um, so that self-doubt and recognising actually everybody is a creative artistic being. Uh, it's just about finding the thing the thing that really inspires you. Totally. And I think that that is so clearly, you know, what I'm hearing from what you're saying is is providing that access to things to be able to receive that inspiration or to be able to see themselves or see a position for themselves, you know, um, within it, with, within the arts. I think that's, that's totally fascinating. And what would you say is the hardest part of your job? Hardest part of my job, I think, is juggling lots of different priorities simultaneously. That has been made more challenging during the pandemic, but before the pandemic, and I'm sure when we're out of it, it will be the same challenge. That um, Because it involves, the work I do involves a lot of collaboration. Um, it involves a lot of other people's timelines and schedules. Um, and so juggling those things uh, and trying to make sure everybody's gonna be in the right place at the right time and that everybody had enough time to know to get there um, is often one of the biggest challenges. It's the, the coordination of people and resources, probably, to sum it up. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of that. So it's always the way, isn't it? Um, you know, not, not enough time, not enough, not enough resources. So let's say that I, um, I have a show. And I want to try and, you know, uh, I've created a show, it's open, and I want that show to be able to be reached by um, people from different different groups, you know, different ages, etc. What would you then do with my show in order to package that up, turn it into a resource pack? What, what, what kind of process do you go through from taking a show from the main stage of a theatre and making it accessible, breaking it down and, 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 and kind of giving in points to the, the, the groups of people that you work with? Usually we start by looking at the themes of a show or the ideas that it's trying to explore. And uh, those might be sort of thematic ideas that are within it, or it might be more about the form itself um, and trying to unpick and unpack um, and make visible the elements of that show uh, to an audience. In terms of targeting specific groups, um, usually we'd work, we'd have like a build-up time with groups. And I think one, one misconception that a lot of uh, the artistic community has is that people like me just have loads of groups lying around. Um, and so there'll be, uh, th there's often an email, you know, we've got this opportunity next week, we can deliver a workshop to one of your groups. And as I was saying, the, the thing about resources, both human and space, these things take time to coordinate. And so, yeah, usually to, to engage with, groups that might not normally engage with performance and theatre. There's, there's some legwork that needs to be done first, and it might be going to work with those individuals, perhaps in their own setting and their own context, 
where they're already regularly going, whether it's the youth centre or the community centre or their school. And then that initial uh, engagement with them starts to create the pathway where you're then bringing them to the theatre. You might have to have several sort of stepping stones to get somebody and a group of people from being not interested to coming to see the show and getting as much out of it as they can as well. Is there one particular project you could tell us a bit about that that you found particularly inspiring? There's loads, but yeah. So uh, I worked for quite a long time at a dance organisation called The Place in King's Cross. We realised that we didn't have an awful lot of local school children coming to our recreational classes. And so we set up uh, a partner school programme for local schools uh, in our borough. And we grew that programme from sort of piloting it with three or four schools. Uh, And I think it was up to about 14 by the time I left. And so we'd work with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of local children. And it followed that kind of model that I was just describing of the stepping stones. So we'd go into the school, then their teachers would bring the pupils to the place. We'd show them around the building. We'd introduce them to different people in the building and what they did. Uh, they could observe classes. And then we'd go back into their school and we'd deliver, our artists would deliver dance projects with them. And then they would come back and perform the dances that we created in the theatre. The strength of that engagement, because each child's journey started in the September of a school year and finished around May, June. We were kind of mates by the end of it. They were coming back time and time again. Yeah, that was a hugely rewarding project. And I think another important bit that made it successful was we worked with the teachers in every school. We introduced them to how to teach creative dance, kind of demystified that. And it was really rewarding seeing the way teachers, sort of watching the penny drop, Actually, I could do this. I I could support my students to explore creative dance. And so, yeah, I think that that was a hugely successful part of it, that the teachers, we got the teachers on board as well as the pupils. That sounds so inspiring. I just think, gosh, how lucky those those kids were to be able to be given the access, you know, in that way. For anybody else that might be listening to 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 you speak and to you know that kind of journey that you went on and think wow you know that's something that I really feel like I could do you know do you have any advice for somebody who might want to get into into the kind of line of work that you do be nice to people um I I know that's a bit of a cliche uh, but I think I often find myself asking for a favor or asking uh if somebody can maybe be there at potentially unreasonable hour of the day or at the weekend or or in the evening most of my work as well is in the subsidized art sector or the charity sector so there aren't huge fees flying around either for me or for anybody else involved so I think being being polite and respecting people it would definitely be sort of one of my key pieces of advice I think the other thing is I'm known for I'm known for my notebooks and I, I have a tendency to just sort of scribble frantically because there's there's a lot of information that's discussed. And I think in creative conversations, the conversation flows really quickly and then you can leave the meeting and you go straight into another meeting. Uh, and by the end of the day, you've lost track of what was actually said at the start of the day. So I think, yeah, make make notes and help other people out when you can because you nearly always have to ask for a few favours along the way. 
Well, from one notebook lover to another, I feel totally seen by what you say, because I get picked on for my notebooks too. So I feel like we've just had a spiritual connection over stationery. Um, and I totally I totally resonate the asking favours of all hours of the day as well. So, uh, no, I, I can absolutely agree with that. Everybody makes fun of the notebooks until they need you to tell them what happened in the meeting. That's the key thing, though, Drew. That is totally true. It's totally true. My last question to you, Peter, is what is your favourite part about doing your job? I, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to kind of give a few answers. My favourite part is uh, when people when people are some in, in some way changed by, by what they've experienced. And that might be that they've watched a show and then afterwards we've had a post-show discussion with the artists, either on stage or backstage artists. And I've worked with groups of adults where some of them have watched a performance that they've hated. And then by the end of the post-show discussion, they realised that they actually enjoyed it and that it gave them some insight. So that extra bit of uh, learning has really helped them to sort of get a deeper engagement with what the artist was trying to communicate with them. So. Yeah, in that sense, like with audiences, it's when they think something isn't for them and then a bit of extra learning makes it for them and they can start to identify with it and relate to it. And the same thing about the changing of somebody, you know, often when you're working with young people, they'll genuinely believe that they can't, they can't do what you've asked them to do. Either they're never going to pick up the dance they're never going to be able to finish their solo in time for it to be performed. And those moments of realisation when they, you know, they, they've performed their solo and it went perfectly. Or they've, they've written that review that they had to write for that particular thing that they were doing. I suppose my background in teaching, I want to see the moment when the penny drops. That's, that's the reward. That's kind of the payoff. So brilliant. I've so loved hearing you speak, Peter. It's so interesting and it really has taken me back to my access into theatre. And I think what you do is so important. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. I've really, really enjoyed he hearing you speak. Thanks for having me. Peter's amazing. When he started, he said he's an arts participation specialist. And I work in the arts and I wasn't sure what that meant. And then he unpacked it. And he's, of course, he's right, because he's more than an educationalist. He's more than a community specialist. He really, really gets into what it is to fully participate in an arts process as an audience member, as a workshop participant, but also as, as a practitioner. And I just thought that was incredible. Yeah, I think out of all of the interviews that I know, you know, had been scheduled, this was one that I didn't expect to um, see myself reflected so clearly in. Like, I, I really felt like, very similar to you, Sean, in terms of what I thought that job title, you know, kind of encompassed, or, you know, how that, how that job, you know, unfolded. I really didn't think it would have so many similarities to what I find myself doing on a day-to-day, -day, you know, in terms of the way that he talks about starting his day, the way that the process through which he goes to take an idea from the beginning through to the end, there were so many things that he said that I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I do. Like, and yet the outcome is, appears to be so different and yet the process was so similar. I, I loved hearing that. But I also wonder whether that's some of his cleverness, that's probably not the right word, but 
I had that thing about the start of the day and I recognise my start of the day too. Um, and I know that I'm at my best if I make myself go for a walk, at least see a little bit of nature. And then if I walk quite fast, then by 10 to 9, I know I've solved a problem or got a new idea. And I wonder whether Peter's skill is in finding that thing that relates to each of us. Because that's incredible as a participation expert. I totally think so. I think that's brilliant. I mean, it, it, that thing that you're talking about going for a walk, which is exactly what we talked about on the podcast. I, the reason I got excited about that was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I do. Now, I, I don't go for a walk first thing in the morning. Um, maybe I should. But it's warm up, you know, for as a choreographer or a group of dancers, when you're in rehearsal process, you start the day every day with a series of moves that um, don't necessarily challenge your brain to have to think, oh, what's going on? But it does get your brain into a meditative state where you can allow creativity and thoughts and ideas to enter into your body and into your process. And I thought that was was so interesting because I know what choreography and what physical action can do to people who are doing the physical action, but also the people who are experiencing it through the transference of, of energy as an audience member. Mm. And hearing that um, be reflected in what could be perceived as an educational uh, setting mm. or a participation setting, I was like, yeah, it, you know, it's another example for me that I was like, this is so similar. This is, this is exactly what I do. The skill, the discipline of warm-up, whatever you do, is something that's really important because your brain needs warming up, your body needs warming up. And a friend of mine introduced me to a term, soft fascination. And what you're talking about with your body doing that is soft fascination. It gives you enough to allow the different thoughts to come in. And I think because of our quite uh, busy lives and... Uh, quite often we are looking at the same four walls and particularly uh, perhaps if you're in a dance studio you're not often even allowed light not having that ability to go into soft fascination will stymie creativity so having you and Peter being really aware of the ability and the need to put yourselves into it is encouraging it's also about permission isn't it in terms of giving yourself permission to not be attached to your email or be attached to your telephone or to be instantly you know even you know text messages now have a little notification about when they're read and when they're replied to and all that kind of stuff so this this pressure on you to be accessible I think that the warm-up the morning walk that it gives you the permission to create I love that notion of self-fascination uh, allows you a time to kind of sit and go right I'm now going to be able to receive my instinct or my intuition or ideas and you know there is this great idea that um I, I read it in so many different choreographers biographies where they talk about you know just making your mind quiet enough to receive inspiration and and one of the ones that i read um was about inspiration and creativity just hang, hanging like glitter in the air oh. just above you and your job as a choreographer is to go into into the space and be in an environment in which um uh, anything's possible limitless possibilities and if you can make your soul and your spirit and usually your insecurities and your anxieties and your ego be quiet enough the glitter will pass through you and um your job is to create the filter through which the glitter can pass and so this idea of creating an environment in which you can allow yourself to do that is um is really important that's the big part of how you start the process and and hearing you know for me uh here i am talking about glitter um for me the passing of glitter or inspirational creativity the thing comes out of my mouth and my body is dance steps but hearing from peter that this was about you know 
the glitter that passes through him is is the uh, providing opportunity for young people to find themselves within theatre or to, to gain access or to find their own way of expressing you know their ideas is is really cool. You and I could talk about glitter a lot, and <laughs> anybody—I mean, that's just my life skill. But anybody who's seen Jesus Christ Superstar will see that Drew has completely taken the glitter bug a bit too far I think but um what I would also say is what was wonderful about Peter was that he you mentioned access in a different way um and Peter talked about accessibility in a, in a very I guess a way that the Arts Council or our government would define it and then he also then turned that on its head and just said that actually the minute we start defining arts and culture through the government framework then we're beginning to put up those barriers for inclusion and access. And I thought it was such a timely reminder of broad culture and how if we don't allow everybody's cultural reference points into a space, then how do we expand our audiences and how do we tell stories with truth? Each week, I ask our guests the same question, and this is my favourite bit. I ask them, what does theatre mean to you, and why is it important? Theatre to me is uh, where I have some of my happiest memories, uh, also some of my biggest challenges. It's vast what theatre is to me, but it's it's been a key part of my life pretty much since I can remember definitely since I was about four. It's been my hobby and my career, and I just can't imagine a world without it, to be honest. You've been listening to a Scratch Post production made in collaboration with the Pony Company and Goldsmiths University of London. Music by Andre Rossi made available by upbeat.io. We'd love to hear from you and find out what you want to know about the theatre industry. You can interact with us at Blueprint Podcasts on Instagram and subscribe for our next episodes.